If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. If a sermon outline is helpful, there's one in the worship folder. Well, happy Mother's Day. It's a great day, and it's a sunshiny day, and, and I trust that you as moms will feel loved and cared for and appreciated. And uh, you know, when I, think, when I think back on my own experience, uh, as many as you know, my mom passed away when I was young, and, and uh, my stepmother had a less, and I had a less than uh, connecting relationship. And I think of the numerous ways that God filled that need in my life. And, and you know where the primary, how that primary need was met in my life? It was met through my home church. I grew up in a small church, about 125, literally in the middle of a Kansas wheat field. And the women of that church came around and loved me. And uh, it, was, it was an amazing thing how God meets every need we have and cares for us in ways we would never comprehend. You know, a London editor submitted to Winston Churchill for his approval a list of those who had been his teachers. And Churchill returned the list with this comment, you have omitted to mention the greatest of my teachers, my mother. As a mother, you have a variety of roles, your teachers, your advisors, your truth tellers, your skill set includes purchasing, time management, and dispute reconciliation. Understanding, compassion, and the ability to discern motives are also needed to ensure that the members of your family feel loved and accepted and at the same time accountable for their words and actions. Your responsibility as a mother requires wisdom, a sense of humor, and the ability to respond to unique situations in positive and helpful ways. A mother was passing by her son's bedroom one morning and was, one afternoon rather, and was, and was astonished to see that his bed was neatly made. The rest of his room was cleaned up and put away. <clears throat> and then she saw the envelope propped up on the pillow. On the outside, it simply said, Mom. With a bit of anxiety, she picked up the envelope and she began to read, Dear Mom, it is with deep regret and sorrow that I'm writing to you. My new girlfriend and I have had to elope. I thought that was best because I'm not sure you would have approved because of the fact that Elaine is much older than I am. She rides an older model Harley and has been able to get a great deal on some tattoos. We will be living in the Pine Lodge RV court, pretty nice place, hot water and everything, even shuffleboard. We are entering into a solid business of buying and selling firewood and hope to be growing medicinal marijuana in the summer. It seems to be, it seems that there are a huge number of sick people here in the trailer park and it is really in demand. As soon as we get settled, Elaine and I will be stopping by. It will be great to have a hot meal. Love your son, John. And then there was this P.S. <clears throat> Mom, none of the above is true. I'm over at Nathan's. And I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card that's in my center desk drawer. <laughs> I love you, call me when it's safe to come home. <laughs> now as a mom, you may never have received a letter like that, but you have faced situations that have challenged you and caused you to call on God for the wisdom you've needed to handle the circumstances and situations of your life. Some years ago, when I was pastoring in Canada, I talked to a mother who told me that one of the hardest Sundays she had to ever come to church was Mother's Day because she felt that on Mother's Day that she was just reminded 
of all that she was not doing well as a mom. Well, this morning we're going to look at the life of Hannah, and one of the things that encourages me about the Bible is that God does not hesitate to give us a realistic picture of each, each person that's mentioned within the pages of Scripture. And when we look at the life of Hannah, we see a woman who is not a supermom. We see not a woman who is a, a superwoman. She struggled with some emotions. It seems that there were times that she could not understand why God was distant and not answering her prayers. And possibly you as a mom at times have felt the same way. Let me give you a bit of an overview of the story we're looking at. Hannah's married to Elkanah, who had a second wife called Penana. In verse 2 of chapter 1, we find out some crucial information. Verse 2 says this, He, Elkanah, had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other was Penana, and Penana had children, but Hannah had no children. In the Old Testament, having a child, having children was a big deal, because if you had a child, it was perceived and understood that the hand of God's blessing was on your life. You had put yourself in a position where God wanted to bless you. Now, the opposite, if you did not have children, the opposite was true. People wondered, why isn't God's hand a blessing on you? What have you done? What has happened in your life that would cause you to be withheld this one thing that is a sign of God's blessing on your life? Not having a child was a big deal to Hannah, and it led to some emotional struggles. On your outline, let's talk about the truth of Hannah's life. There are four difficult emotions that Hannah went through because of not having children. The first was that she was disappointed. We have all been disappointed in one way or another. We have had the expectations of hopes of how our lives will turn out. We will get this job done. We will get married. Our husband will be like this. Our wife will be like that. We will travel. We'll have friends who care about us. Or like Hannah, we think I will have children and my children will grow up to be like this. See, one of the things we can count on in life is that we will be disappointed. Life will not always go the way we want it to go. Disappointment is that feeling of being let down. Something we had hoped to happen did not happen, and we're having trouble adjusting our lives to the reality of what we had hoped for wasn't, isn't going to take place. Hannah was disappointed because she didn't have any children. Not only did she want children, not only was she not getting pregnant, this whole thing of not having kids was having an impact on how she saw herself. She saw herself as a mom. And it seemed that she was having a bit of an identity crisis of not being able to figure out who she was if she didn't have children to bring up. The second emotion that she went through was of being ridiculed. Now, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1, look at what's happening to Hannah. Again, in verse 4 states that Penina had sons and daughters, at least four children. And in verses 6 and 7, we read this, Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Now, that's a key part, portion of the Scripture. Hannah was not having children because she couldn't have children. She was not having children because the Lord had kept her from having children because there was a purpose He had in mind for her as well as for the child Samuel that would be born. Yet year after year it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the temple, to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and not even eat. See, Penina, Elkanah's other wife, would laugh at her. He would make fun of her. He would try to provoke her into an argument, insult her. She would do whatever she could to make Hannah feel bad to the point 
that Hannah would be reduced to tears and wouldn't even be able to eat. Sometimes we can go through our life and we can feel inadequate, can't we? That something was lacking, that we don't measure up, that we're not good enough. And then when somebody begins to point that out, or someone begins to make an emphasis on the difficult parts of our life, parts of our life that we're already struggling, that can take and affect us in ways that we too can get emotionally overwhelmed. And I might add for us as Christians, we live in a culture that is ridiculing us telling us we're out of touch, telling us we don't understand, telling us that we need to get with it and to stop holding on to these Christian beliefs, these basic conservative, godly Christian beliefs that God has laid out in His Word to be the primary guide for how we are to live. We can be ridiculed, but again, as in the case with Hannah, God had not allowed Hannah to have children because of a greater plan that was coming. And friends, let me tell you, when we stand up on our firm, when we're being ridiculed for our faith, the plan of God will be worked out in our life. The third emotion that Hannah was dealing with was being misunderstood. This is an interesting section. In verses 12 to 14, it says, while Hannah kept praying, Eli watched her mouth. Now, Hannah is in the temple. She's distraught. She's come to pray. She doesn't know what else to do. She is calling out to God. And while Hannah kept praying, Eli watched her mouth. She was praying in her heart, so her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, stop getting drunk. Throw away your wine. Now, this is great. She is horribly upset. She wants to go to church. She wants to pray. She's praying silently, only her lips were moving. And Eli, the lead pastor of the tabernacle, accuses her of coming into the temple drunk. Has anyone here ever been misunderstood? Your motives have been pure. You're doing your best. And then someone in authority, someone with influence, misrepresents what's going on in your life and comes to a conclusion about your life that is not only wrong, but it's hurtful. We've all been in those situations, haven't we? And sometimes we have to determine, am I going to say something? But more often than not, it's best just to be quiet and let the reality of our life speak for itself. The fourth emotion that Hannah goes through is the emotion of being desperate. She's out of options. She doesn't know what to do. She has an urgent need that she needs God to respond to. And listen to verses 10 and verse 16. In verse 10, it says, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And then in verse 16, she's responding to Eli's accusations that she is drunk. And she said, don't think that I'm a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Hannah is desperate. She will do anything to change her life situation. Have you been there in your life? Have you ever hit that wall where you knew something needed to change and you cried out to God? You needed direction. You needed wisdom. You needed understanding. Somehow you needed to be relieved of the tension, of the emotion, of the desperateness that you were feeling. I've been there, and I'm sure that at certain times so have you. Hannah's life with friends was far from perfect. She wanted to be a mom, but she couldn't, and in the midst of this she faced desperation, misunderstanding, disappointment, and was ridiculed. Now, the question is this in life, and you understand this as well as I do. Life is not always determined by what happens to us, but how we respond to what happens to us. Hannah was going through a situation that God had allowed, and let me suggest that God in His sovereignty knows everything about my life, and He knows everything about your life. God is never surprised. He never gets up one morning and looks down from heaven and says, boy, I wasn't expecting that. 
That's a surprise. I didn't see that coming. God knows everything about you, and He knows everything about me. And as we submit our lives to Him, He puts all things in place that His perfect will might be done. Now, what is He asking? This is what's great, friends. He is giving us the opportunity to trust Him. He's giving us the opportunity to say, Lord, I believe. And so now we're going to shift gears, and I want to share with you six things that Hannah did in order to respond to the situation that was difficult in her life that she was dealing with. Number one, Hannah sought God. In verses 9 and 10, we read, once after the sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, at the, pre- the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in, great, in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Now, let me tell you something else that I discovered as I was preparing for the message. Based on the chronological order of this story, it seems that Hannah did not go to God right away in the way that she is coming to God in these verses. In in fact, verse 7 says that Penanah's ridiculing went on year after year. And friends, let me suggest that we can pray and then we can pray. We can utter words or we can pray with all we are. See, sometimes we pray with different levels of emotional intensity. Sometimes we seek God with a different level of anticipation of God showing up within our lives. Right now in this section, Hannah is praying with all she is. Notice that in verse 10 that says that while Hannah is praying, she is crying bitterly. Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle Maker, says there are many different kinds of tears. There are tears that sh- there are tears shed by the mother of the little boy in ICU who is far too young to be fighting leukemia, but yet he fights it. There are tears shed by the father of the bride as he walks his daughter down the aisle on her wedding day. There are tears that stain divorce papers and tears mixed with sweat that stream down the face of grown men who have just won a national championship. And then there are tears shed in prayer. And let me suggest to you, friends, that the tears that we shed when we pray are precious to God. Psalm 56, 8 says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Hannah sought God, and this was not a casual seeking. She was all in. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14 say, if you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Hannah was seeking God with all that she was. She was all in. She was determined. And friends, I believe that's a lesson. And we've talked uh, a few weeks ago when I was sharing in the message the fact that when we seek God, when we, are cons- when we, are, when we come to God in prayer every day saying, God, I need you. I, I'm, I want more of you. When we come laying our lives on the, on the line and say, God, reveal yourself to me. That when situations come into play, when we're seeking God, because we're seeking God, we will never be as far away from the answer because we're already seeking the answer. Because when we seek God, what? We already have the answers that we want. We just need insight concerning the situations of our life. I love this verse because it talks about the fact, Jeremiah says, the degree of our seeking, the intensity of our seeking determines the intensity of our finding. I know in my life there have been times that I have allowed myself to get spiritually stagnant or less engaged than I want because my seeking of God has not been as intentional. And let me suggest emotional, that I say, God, I I declare to God through my emotions my desire of wanting Him to transform my life. 
The second thing that Hannah did is she committed her future child to God. To God. Verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, you, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, I will then give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now, here's the question. When we pray, are we praying, I want this prayers, or are we praying again, God, all I have is yours prayers? Friends, God wants all of us. We read in Scripture that God is a jealous God. In other words, if there is anything that stands between, that is between if God is here and we're here, whatever is in this gap between us and God, God wants that. He is a jealous God, and because of His love and because of His sacrifice, He desires everything in our life that He does not yet have. The greater our commitment to Him, the more we will be entrusted with by Him. Let me suggest that if you and I pray conditional prayers, we pray, but there's a lot of small print that we add. God, I'm going to do this, but then there's the conditions. We will not experience all God wants us to do in and through us. But if we pray unconditional prayer, God, I pray this, and you have all that I am, expect God to show up. Expect Him to change and touch our life. What was Hannah willing to do? She says, God, I want a child, and if you will just give me this child, I will give him to you all the days of my life, all the days of his life. The third thing that Hannah does, she believed and God responded. Verses 17 and 20, then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. In Israel during this time, the priest, which was in Shiloh, the man Eli, he was the one that represented God to the people. And so when a priest said something to an individual, they took that as if God was speaking to them. And when the priest said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your request, petition that you've made to him, to Hannah that was confirmation that God was going to act. He, she believed that God had heard her prayer. Now, and I believe from the response that she got from Eli that she believed fully that she would have a child. She goes home, and the Bible says that God remembered her. Now, friends, this doesn't meet the, mean that God can forget about us. But what it does mean is that God never neglects, nor does He minimize anything that we bring to Him. God remembers us. God remembers you. He remembers your life. He remembers your circumstances. He remembers your concerns. He remembers the things that you have in your life that are meaningful to you. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about the fact that I mentioned this morning already that it's more important to seek God than it is to seek answers to prayer, because seeking answers to prayer is situational. Seeking God is transformational. Seeking answers to prayer will solve one situation, but friends, when we seek God, it will transform everything we are. If we seek answers, we can become disillusioned and disappointed. If we seek God, we might have to readjust our expectations, but we will discover this, that God indeed is real. We will not just know He is real, but we will experience that He is real. Hannah sought God, 
and God showed up. Number four, Hannah kept the commitment that she had made. Now, how many of you have learned that it's easier to make commitments than it is to keep them? We've learned that, haven't we? Hannah had asked God for a gift, for the gift of a child, and he said that when the time came, she would return that gift to God for his use and for his service. And in verses 24 to 28, we read the story of Hannah returning her son Samuel to the Lord. You know, I was thinking of what must have gone on between Hannah and her husband Elkanah as they talked about the day when they would take and leave Samuel at the temple. Now, I have no doubt, I have no doubt that Hannah gave her best, that she poured herself into her child those first three to four years. There was nothing more important to her than loving that little boy that would soon be left at the temple with Eli. You know, when I had read this story in previous years, I had the, the thinking that Elkanah and Hannah lived a great, a long ways away from the temple in Shiloh. And so this week I got out my Bible lap, my Bible map, and got out my ruler, and, and it seems that there was about a 10, that Hannah and Elkanah lived about 10 miles from the temple in Shiloh. Now the Bible says that Elkanah and his family would go to the temple once a year to offer their yearly sacrifice, but I can't imagine Hannah living within 10 miles of her son and not going as often as she could to see how that little boy was doing. See, there's a difference between visiting a son and having that son no longer live in your home. Samuel was probably somewhere between two and four when Elkanah Hannah, and Hannah honored her vow and took him to the temple where he would live and serve for the rest of his life. How many of us could make that commitment and keep it? My grandson Heston is four, and I cannot imagine not having that little boy live with our family. But there is a point here that Hannah understood the importance of the vow she had made, and although it was difficult, she kept the vow and she took her child and presented him to Eli. She did what she was committed to do. She did what she knew was right. And let me suggest that the course of Israel was changed because of her obedience. The fifth thing that Hannah did, she praised and proclaimed God's goodness. Now, even though the trip home would have been difficult, before Hannah left in verses 1 to 10 of chapter 2, we give a picture, we are, we are given a picture of the gratitude that, ha, that Hannah had for what God did for her. Let me read a few of the verses, beginning with verse 1. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My, my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Verses 9 and 10. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and the exalted of the and the and the exalt the horn of his anointed i'm sure that hannah felt an emptiness in her home after leaving samuel at the temple but she never forgot or faltered regarding affirming the greatness of our god friends our god is a good god and she gave him praise for what he had done and who he was let me let me suggest this that whenever you and i get in difficult circumstances Whenever you and I get in 
during those times where we're not sure what's going on, we are uncertain of how we're going to get through it, that one of the most appropriate responses we can have is to acknowledge God's goodness, to acknowledge His greatness, to acknowledge His power, to acknowledge His unconditional love. Because, friends, God has no equal. He has no rival. He is able to do what He wants. And in your and difficult situations, and we're going to talk about this summer when in June we start preaching through the book of James, we're going to talk about how God used every, uses every difficulty of our life to bring about good in our life. So we do not have a minimalistic God that is limited in any way. The deepest discouragement of your life, the biggest challenge you face is simply a tool in God's hand for creating your character and helping you become the person that He's called you to be. The sixth thing that Hannah does, she experienced God's blessing. Joy and I have often mentioned that it's impossible to outgive God. When we honor God, He will return to us the blessing that our honor to Him calls out. God is good, and there's nothing that can diminish His goodness, His love. Jeremiah 29, 11 echoes the promise of God's goodness when the prophet says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Psalm 100, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. In Romans chapter 8, Paul makes this declaration, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor all things, things present, nor for nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is an almighty God, and nothing can separate us from His goodness. In 2 Samuel 2.21, we see that God remembered. He says, Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that something? It was a period of years where she was taunted, she was ridiculed. At the proper time, she received the gift of Samuel, and then she had five more children. It's interesting this verse does not leave out Samuel, that he grew in the presence of the Lord. And I love that the, the word indeed is at the first of this chapter, or the first of this verse. You know what the word indeed means? The word indeed means in truth, in fact, in reality. In truth, in fact, and in reality, God visited Hannah. He remembered her. He was with her, and He gave her more children. Friends, there is no doubt for you and I, that God indeed will be with us. He will remember us. He will make Himself known to us as He did to Hannah. As we commit to Him, as we praise Him, as we acknowledge the position of priority that He has in our life. Now, we're going to shift gears here a little bit. We've talked about the four emotions that Hannah's gone through. We've talked about the six responses that she has had in dealing with the challenge. And now I'm going to address the men of the congregation how do we love our wives? For while Hannah is kind of the, the main individual in 1 Samuel, 1st 1 and 2, there's also another person that plays a strong supporting role, and that's her husband, Elkanah. And from his life, gentlemen, I want to give you four ways that you can love your wife based on how Elkanah loved his wife. Number one, express your love unconditionally. In 1 Samuel 4 and 5, Elkanah saw what Elkanah wanted to do. He wanted to allow Hannah to know. He wanted to know that he loved her so much that she would be certain to think that she was not alone in what she was going through. 
In fact, verses 4 and 5 said this, On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah and his, his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because, her lo- because he loved her. And then there's these words, Though the Lord had closed her womb. Now again, she was not barren because she couldn't have children. She was barren because God was, it was not time yet for her to have children. Now, in the same way, friends, that it was important to women to have children in Old Testament times, it was equally important to men, that they would have a son, that they would have children to carry on their lineage. And what Elkanah wanted Hannah to know, he said, just because you don't, can't have children, don't think, don't think for a moment that I don't love you. Don't think for a moment that I don't care about you. Don't think for a moment that not having children in any way changes my commitment to you. Elkanah wanted Hannah to know that he loved her in spite of the fact that she had not been able to have a child. And sometimes, men, we can get into the pattern of what we might say conditional love. Conditional love says, I love you if. I love you if you look a certain way. I love you if you do certain things. I love you if you agree with me. I love you if you don't expect me to change. I love you if you let me have my way. Unconditional love, the different, the opposite of this, is the foundation for a love that grows and matures. Unconditional love is what builds trust and establishes hope and creates a marriage that is secure and unwavering. When we have commissions, can men, when you have conditions on your love, you will never have full commitment into the marriage. Unconditional love gives our marriage the opportunity to develop into a relationship of true, true intimacy on all-out trust. Men, make it a point to love your wives unconditionally and make sure she knows it. Number two, express your love verbally. Verse 8, and Elkanah said to her husband, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Again, he's making the point. I'm here. I love you. I care about you. He's trying to communicate to her verbally that he is with her and they will get through this together no matter what comes. Now, it's interesting that the word here, why is your heart sad, refers to anger, not sadness. These verses could be translated, why is your heart angry? Hannah is angry that she cannot conceive. She's angry that she's being bullied. She's angry that people in the community are wondering what's wrong with her and why she can't have children. And Elkanah is saying, Hannah, I love you. Let me love you. Even though she might not be able to hear it, he understood the importance of affirming his love to her, not only unconditionally, but verbally. The third way to love your wives is to value and support her convictions and decisions. Verse 11, she made a promise saying, Lord, all-powerful, see how sad I am. Remember me and don't forget me. If you give me a son, I will give him back to you all, the, all his life, and no one will ever cut his hair with a razor. And then in verses 21 and 22, there's a story where they bring Samuel to the church, to the temple. And every year, Elkanah went with his whole family to Shiloh to offer sacrifices and to keep the promise he had made to God. But one time, Hannah did not go with him. She told him, when the boy is old enough to eat solid food, I will take him to Shiloh, and I will give him to the Lord, and he will always live there. So the day is coming, you're saying, when I am going to bring Samuel to the church, and I will not take him home. And I know it's interesting, at this point in Scripture, she said, I'm not going to go. And maybe she knew how difficult that would be of going and being reminded of what was coming. But what Elkanah did, he valued, he stood with her in the vows she made to give her son to Samuel, and she stood with 
He stood with her when she said, I'm just not ready to go to the temple this year. When the time comes, I will take our boy. Husbands, how willing are we to listen to and affirm our wife's convictions and decisions? Do you know your wife well enough? Does she know you well enough that, if she, that she knows that if she ever is in a place that she has to make a decision without consulting you, that she will have your understanding and she will have your support? Do you support what she thinks about? Do you value what she says? Do we listen to our wives' opinions? Do we value her by affirming the gifts and insight God has given? And number four, share in her sorrow and loss. In verses one, or verse two of chapter one and verse 10, as well as in chapter two, verse 11, these verses refer to Elkanah's willingness to stand with his wife when she's going through an emotionally difficult time and to carry with her the emotions that, come, that came from not having any children when his other wife had many children. See, being present with her in the distress she felt and the loss she, that she experienced, even she thought the problem was unsolvable. So he stood with her. He cared about her. He listened. He didn't try to change the situation, but he became a place of support. Men, it's crucially important that we learn how to listen to what our wives are experiencing and feeling without trying to fix the problem, without trying to make it not as important as she feels it is. To listen and understand, to try not, to not to try to take all their pain, but rather give them a safe and stable place to express what they are going through, what they're feeling. To be strong enough to hear and absorb our wife's emotions without getting angry, without running away, or minimizing what they're going through and what they're feeling. Now, as we get through these last four, we come to the last part where we're talking about Samuel. And one of the things we know is that the hand of God was on Samuel's life. If you have your Bibles, open them to chapter 25, verse 1. For there's one verse that kind of capulates the significance and the impact that Samuel's life made. In verse, chapter 25, verse 1, now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. There's many things that could be said about the life of Samuel, the many ways he led the people of Israel, the many ways he corrected Saul, the many things he did that made him an individual who was loved. What would it be like to have a whole country gather and mourn? To mourn means to express law. All of Israel felt the loss when Samuel died. They realized they no longer had a strong man of God to give them counsel and direction. They knew Samuel loved them, and they grew to trust his support. They knew that his death would leave a void. They grieved the loss of a man who loved them. Samuel had left a legacy that is still being remembered and celebrated today. In Glasgow, Scotland, a young lady got tired of home and the restraints of godly living. She rejected her parents' Christian beliefs, and she told them that she did not want their God, and with that, she left home. She wanted to go out into the world and make her way, but the plans she made didn't work out, and she, in order to provide for herself, took the only option she had. She became a prostitute. 
Well, her father died, and there was no contact between her and her mother. Her mom didn't know where she was. But one day, the mom found out the city where her daughter was living in, and, he, and she made her way to that city to find her. And everywhere she went, she put up a picture of herself, and at the bottom, she wrote the message, I love you still, come home. Months went by, and the mother heard nothing, and then one day, the daughter came into a rescue mission for a needed meal. And as she sat listening to the church service she was being, that was being conducted, her eyes wandered over to the bulletin board, and she saw the picture, and she thought, could that be my mom? She got up. She couldn't wait. She went and saw that it was her mother, and as she read the message, she began to cry. It was too good to be true. I love you still. Come home. Well, she started for home, and she arrived early one morning, and as she started to knock at the door, she hit the door. She was surprised that the door to the house swung open, and thinking that someone had broken into the home, she ran in to check on her mom. She found her mom still sleeping and shook her awake. It's me, it's me, I've come home, she said. Well, the mother could not believe her eyes. She wiped away her tears, and mother and daughter held each other. The daughter then said, I thought someone had broken open the door, so I came to see you. And the mother gently replied, from the day you left, that door has never been locked. The undiluted power of a mother's love, the unconditional love of an all-loving God. Mothers, may you know today that you are loved, that you are appreciated, that you are not alone, that you are more than adequate, that God has called you, He has equipped you, He's giving you everything you need to do exactly what you've called Him, what He's asked you to do to make a difference in the lives of your family, to make a difference in the life of your community. And simply this, Mom, simply this, to know that as you give yourself to your Heavenly Father, that He takes and fills every aspect of your life, as you become a student of His Word, as you become one sensitive and saying in your prayers, oh God, I need you, you will experience the blessing and the direction that God has for each one of us that has been called by His name and is willing to say, God, use me today. May our hearts and may our lives be always open to receive what God has, that we might become more and more the people He wants us to be, that the transformation that God wants would start in our hearts. For when a transformation comes, it cannot help but affect everything around us. And may that be the goal not only of our lives, but it may it be the goal of our church. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer?